Welcome to Take Care. I'm your host, Syra Trejo. I'm a passionate advocate for mental and emotional health and fascinated by the power of people's stories. This podcast dives into stories across the spectrum of mental and emotional health. My goal here is to talk to experts and non-experts alike to hear the latest in the field and the stories of struggle and ultimately healing. Because when we have open conversations, the stigma changes. I hope that this podcast can help you. If you enjoy it, please remember to subscribe. Episodes drop every Monday. On this episode of Take Care. I wanted to not feel self-pity. I wanted to feel happy and relaxed and just wanted to just, you know, feel like nothing was wrong in my life or nothing was wrong with me. And so I did what I knew best how to do, how to cope with those feelings. And, and I just kind of um, floated around, you know, um, but no matter how much I would drink or how, how much I would consume in terms of drugs, I couldn't drown out the feeling that I had reduced myself to nothing. I spoke with Luis Gomez, also known as Run Gomez. He's a former journalist and the creator behind the popular California Media Jobs newsletter. I was an avid follower of the newsletter when I remember suddenly, last September, he abruptly canceled it and went dark along with all of his social media. Then, in May of this year, he penned a powerful personal blog detailing the mental health challenges he faced that led him to start over. We dove into his story of mental health, addiction, and healing, and why he left his dream job at the height of his career to take care of himself. And just before we launch into the interview, thanks for listening to the first episode of Take Care. I still can't believe we're here. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Here we go. First of all, I just want to say a huge thank you to you for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast. This is brand new for me and just really exciting to have you on because it's interesting just kind of how things happen. You were a person I followed online through social media and through your newsletter. And I always like used to uh, wait for Monday mornings, I think is when the newsletter dropped to see what's Friday mornings or Friday mornings. That's it. Yeah. To see when, uh, you know, what you were going to include in there, what was going to be the newest job. I was always looking at the entry level, the internships because I was in college um, when I started following. And then uh, I just remember the newsletter not existing anymore. And I had I kind of had this feeling. I was like, oh, I hope everything's OK. But I didn't know you personally. Right. I followed you online. And so I was really struck when you were so open and vulnerable um, to your followers and to the people who knew you online. And so for me, it's very special to be able to talk to you today. So I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. That's that's awesome. Yeah, of course. And um, really, this podcast aims to just like have open conversations like this, which a lot of times are harder to do with people around us. And especially we know other people on the internet and stuff stuff like that. So it's great to have you. Um, And so I think my first question is uh, your social media handles and your online name is Run Gomez. Where does that come from? Uh, so I started my Twitter when I did a marathon in 2011. I did the Pasadena Marathon in 2011. And I wanted to live tweet my marathon. So every every mile I tweeted out something. And I think I had something pre-written for every mile. So it's like 26.2 miles. So it was a total of 26 miles. <clears throat> and my bib on you know, the, the paper that they give you so you, you can show your number. It also said Run Gomez. And um, uh, and it was just sort of like the beginning of like, you know, just b- trying to brand myself out there in the world. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that's that's what I knew you as. I always saw Run Gomez, Run Gomez on the California media uh, jobs l- newsletter. So that was that was very cool. Um, 
And so let's just dive deep if you're okay with that. Um, yeah. Back in September 2019, you sent this email that's kind of like, newsletter is done. Um, peace out, guys. I'm out of here. What was that like for you? You know, I will say that that email, um, in some ways I regret sending that emails. And in some ways I was relieved that I finally sent that email. Um, it, it was a twofold. It was a mixed feeling kind of thing. Um, I think that that night i it was a culmination of so many things so many frustrations you know with myself um not feeling like you know i was i was holding myself to the standard that i i i thought i was holding myself to you know i you know i felt pretty disappointed in myself i felt like I had failed everyone and I felt like I was just a terrible leader, you know, and I, I should not be part of the conversation or part of the journalism conversation anymore. And, and it was, it was a, I, you know, I admit that it was a very selfish thing to do at midnight, you know, or very late hours of the day. Um, you know, it was, you know, it was a drunken night, you know, I was not sober and I was feeling really, I was feeling a lot of self-pity. Uh, uh, it was, it was a, the most amount of self-pity that I've ever felt in my whole life. And, and it was very selfish, you know, it was very selfish. And some people called it manipulative. You know, I would say it was definitely uh, selfish. And uh, I wanted to put an end to just my role in, 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 in the newsletter world, I guess, put an end to my role in, I, I felt like I just wasn't a, a good leader, you know? Um, so that was, that was basically what was going through my mind at the time. Yeah. And that's a really, that's some really heavy stuff. And I know it's, it's just like a combination of a lot of things. I, I can't imagine what it was like to just kind of have to pull away. Almost I feel like, like, feel like I have to leave. I have to leave this stuff. Um, so I'm sure you, that newsletter at that time, how long had you been doing it? Uh, at the time it was about four and a half years. Yeah. Cause I started in January, 2015. Yeah, really substantial amount of time. And um, I can imagine there's a lot of frustration there. You were working as a journalist at that time, too. You were at Report for America, right? Um, social media manager. I was starting uh, actually that job that day. <laughs> that day was the day that I got my job offer at Report for America. And uh, I was going to start in about a week or two weeks from that point. And, you know, it just goes to show how little you know, thought I gave into this decision, you know, how little, how selfish it was from my part to think that, you know, this community that I had, I had built, you know, it was just mine for, for me to do anything that I wanted. Um, when in fact, it was the creation and support of like many, many people, thousands of people and organizations that uh, supported it. But yeah, you know, I was I was getting geared up to for my dream job, you know, and um, yeah. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of I can sense a lot of pain there. Um, and I think something that just really gets to me is that you were obviously, you know, not OK before then. 
right? There is something that was leading up there. Um, how long were you experiencing uh, depression, anxiety, anything related to that before you kind of said, okay, I'm done with, with the newsletter and, and then eventually with the job? Um, it definitely, I mean, it was, it was a culmination of like several years. You know, if I were to put a timeline to it, I would say it's, it was about, you know, 10 plus years of built up frustration, built up, uh, tension built up resentment and if I were to you know articulate it in a, a short sentence I, I would say it was basically all of my childhood traumas and the traumas that I had experienced from a kid manifesting themselves in my adult life and they manifest my traumas manifested themselves in terms of coping skills. I learned coping skills that were unhealthy and harmful, but they were my coping skills. It was the way I navigated the world. It was the way I could survive in the world. There were like survival tools, you know, sometimes lying was, you know, my most handy tool. You know, it was, it was the way I was able to get things that I wanted, you know, get, get goals that I wanted to achieve, you know, um, and, you know, if you're a person of conscience, you know, when you lie, you know, it just stays with you, you know, you know, in the back of your head, and it just lingers in the back of your head. And over the years, it just kind of accumulated into this kind of heavy sense of moral deficit, you know, heavy sense of guilt, heavy sense of shame, you know, heavy sense of, you know, I am not who I say I am to other people, you know, I feel like I'm a farce, you know, I have that what's it called? Um, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm lying to people about who I am, about, about my true identity. And it took me a long time. You know, it, it took me a lot of therapy. I, I went to, into therapy, you know, and I, I went into sobriety to really like have the clarity to see exactly what was going on in my head at the time, which, you know, I, I don't know if I articulated it well enough in that piece, but you know, it was the best that I could describe, you know, at the time with the information that I had, I think I could do a probably a better job at articulating what was going on and what led to those moments, what led to, to me becoming the person that I became. Yeah. And that piece you're referring to is the medium blog post, right? From back in yeah. May, yes. um, which right now it feels like a lifetime ago, um, just in, you know, what the, the kind of world we live in. Um, but I remember reading that too. And that's where I said, because at that point I was thinking too, I was like, I want to start a podcast, do something about this. And uh, just, you know, because I'd, I'd experienced my own struggles. Um, and I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to Luis. Like, this is so powerful to be able to say it and put it out there. And you mentioned those coping skills, which as we know, are a form of protecting ourselves, right? It's what we know at the moment. Um, and hindsight is always twenty twenty. And after, you know, treatment and therapy, um, like you mentioned, sobriety, other things like that changing our life, we can always look back and say like, hey, like, I wish I did this different. But in those moments, that's what we knew um, to do. And I think you mentioned uh, something interesting in um, a coping skill of, of lying in that, you know, our body is actually uncomfortable when we do that. Um, and so it, it creates that physical stress too. And to carry that is very, very difficult. 
And for a lot of different people, there's different types of coping skills. I have a slew of my own that I've been able to say like, hey, that's not too healthy to do. Or maybe I'd like to work on that. So thank you for sharing that. Did you think um, maybe the profession you were in, journalism, contributed to kind of the the snowball effect of childhood trauma, things you've experienced, um, and just the job itself? Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to put all of the, I don't want to put any kind of blame on journalism or the world of news, uh, you know. But I will say that when you get caught up in that world, and especially as a professional, you are, it feels like you're chasing a, a moving target and it's every day is something different. And you do get a, end up getting caught up in that world where you, it's part of your job to check in on what's going on in the news. It's part of your job to check in on social media. It's part of your job to engage with readers who are frustrated, you know, or with other journalists who are also frustrated. So as you become part of that, you know, as you develop this daily habit of constantly consuming bad news every day, you begin to see the world, it changes the world, the way you see the world, it makes you a little bit more cynical, it makes you a little bit more of a pessimist, you know, it makes you feel like there is no hope. And you, you, you resort to these coping mechanisms, you, you resort to these coping skills of like, everyone else is bad, except me. Everyone else is a bad person or has bad intentions except me or you know my tribe is better than your tribe you know and that's why we have these issues with people you know becoming so politically making everything so divided and politically separated the mask debate is a perfect example of that but as a journalist you know yeah i absolutely became obsessed with you know what was going on in the world and i wanted to be involved I wanted to take part of it. I wanted to figure out how to how to change it, how to be part of it. But you know, if you're if you're in a situation like that, you know, you you will definitely overlook your your own mental health. You know, it it definitely puts you in a position where you you. I mean, as a journalist, like in journalism school, for people who go to journalism school and who end up working in newsrooms, they tell you keep your own emotions out of outside of work you know, remove your own personal opinions, your own personal feelings of whatever it is that you feel and remove it. And what you end up doing is you end up neglecting, you know, you, there's a fine line between removing your own ideas and your own thoughts and your own feelings. And there's, and, and neglecting them, you know, because it's one thing to actually say, my feelings don't matter in this situation. And then it's another thing to say, well, if my, my my feelings didn't matter then, then they probably don't matter at all to yeah. anyone. Oh, uh, my so, gosh. so that, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's where like, that's where you begin the process of neglection. Most, most journalists will probably think, oh, you know, that's the, you know, that doesn't make any sense because I take care of myself. I drink myself tonight, you know, to bed every night. And, and I don't know if drinking is the most healthy coping mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, you just like targeted some of the things that just I think about all the time because I was I, I was on the track to become a journalist. That was my dream, right? I, I followed your newsletter because I wanted a job. I wanted to get a gig. I was like all or nothing. And just to hear just it's intense. It's really intense. And the landscape is changing a lot. And that piece about, you know, 
take your emotions. They don't matter in the story. Um, but that can get translated on afterwards. And I can totally see how that at least happened to me. I was very early in my career. I wasn't even like, I was still, I was still interning, but, uh, but I can see how that, uh, could have gone, you know, that got to me too. And for you, like, did you feel like you were being overworked or that you put that pressure to overwork, um, yourself while you were in the industry? Um, I would say, you know, for me, it became a matter of resentment, you know, for me, that kind of frustration, you know, it, it started off with the removal of my own feelings and my own opinions about the work that I was doing. Um, so once we started, when, once I started with that, then I started doing the resentment that, you know, well, if I can't speak my own feelings, like my feelings are boiling up, you know, they're like bubbling up, you know, and I can't help it. So what do I do with that, with those feelings, with those intense feelings? I repress them. I pull them down. I don't have an outlet to, to, to let out, you know, let people know how it is that I feel about this. So what I end up doing is I resent, I, I start resenting my editors. I re- start resenting the, you know, the, the people, you know, in who I, my sources, you know, institutions, I start resenting other people and resentment is a form of trauma and most people don't like to recognize this at all you know and i don't know why but resentment is a form of trauma if you feel resentment towards somebody so say it's somebody who did something to you many years ago in your childhood or when you were younger that resentment is a trauma that stays with you forever unless you actually pay attention to it and address it and for me that that trauma eventually led to intense feelings of loneliness and depression and feeling like I was not valued or I was alone in the world and nobody could understand me. So I'm going to go drink or get high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. Those just those feelings just bubbling up, like you said, it leads to a lot and it's a huge weight to carry uh, on our shoulders, um, especially as we, you know, go into the world with the structures that we've seen, the goals maybe that we have, the dreams, the ambitions. Um, but to carry that and feel like, oh my gosh, then what's the point? What's the point of doing any of this? And that is a very, very scary and dark thought that can pop up for a lot of people, um, myself included. And it's just so powerful to speak it out loud, I think, to be able to say, yes. I, at one point, I thought, you know, everything was against me. Um, I had that resentment. Um, but to be able to recognize it as a form of trauma is very empowering. And did that come with the therapy and with the healing? Yeah, I would say my therapist has done miracles on me. Um, <laughs> I, I I have no idea how it happened. But my therapist is, is uh, has helped me uncover not only uncover the traumas, but like she's also taught me how to recognize certain things as traumas, like resentment as, as a form of trauma. And and the more I look back at, you know, past instances and the way I reacted to things and the way I I held certain feelings about certain people, I, I recognize that, that that was a very, those were very traumatic things to carry, you know, things that make you you know, that the make you a person that you end up not liking very much. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to be able to use the word trauma, I think even because I just recently, I was very reluctant to say it. things I experienced in the past were traumatic because that word can be so um, 
it's so heavy. And a lot of us don't necessarily know what it means. I always substitute it in place like uh, distressing things or um, things that cause discomfort. But to use the word trauma is powerful too, because it recognizes that um, we've been hurt. You know, we've been hurt and we, um, in in big ways and little ways, but our pain is our pain. Um, you know, away with comparative suffering, like that is not <laughs> helpful for anyone. Like we carry our own pain and our own pain is ours. And so to be able to recognize that is so amazing. Um, and to see how kind of those life patterns as children, what we learned, what adults around us, other people uh, showed us carry on as we become adults and we become conscious beings um, in our world and society. And so I think it's just so it just really it really warms me to to hear you talk about your therapy experience um your journey of healing and i know um like it's not done right this is a lifelong thing it's it's just lifelong and it it, it lasts uh for a long time but it's powerful and just to go back a little bit back to when you kind of cut everything you're like i'm out of here bye like i don't need this anymore i'm going to mm-hmm. work on myself um where did you go physically and where did you go mentally uh oof, man that's a good question i physically i went nowhere <laughs> <laughs> i i basically i i dug myself a little hole called resentment and hate and i went and crawled in there and it was nice and warm and cozy and <laughs> uh and i stayed in there for a long while i i felt hurt i felt abandoned i felt all the feelings that i wanted to feel so i could justify my own self-pity and my own selfishness um and i you know i did i did what i best what i knew best on how to deal with those emotions i drank every day all day long and i got high and i just wanted to forget i wanted to i wanted to not feel self-pity i wanted to feel happy and relaxed and just wanted to just you know feel like nothing was wrong in my life or nothing was wrong with me. And so I did what I knew best how to do, how to cope with those feelings. And, and I just kind of um, floated around, you know, Um, but no matter how much I would drink or how, how much I would consume in terms of drugs, I couldn't drown out the feeling that, I had reduced myself to nothing, mm-hmm. you know, I, re- I had reduced myself to a, a very unimportant person. And, and I lost my identity. I think when I when I left journalism, I journalism was a big part of my identity. And most people when when you work in an industry like this for many, many years, it becomes part of your identity, especially when you develop a brand name for yourself, a newsletter, and you know, that thousands of people recognize you for suddenly like not having that you feel like you lose your identity like you don't know who you are anymore you don't know what you are in the world anymore you you don't you lose your place in the world and that's kind of where I was I I I felt like I didn't know where to go who were my friends I didn't know what was real I didn't know what I I didn't know anything I was completely lost Mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah that feeling uh, feeling untethered I think um yeah can you know, that and, and that feeling itself is just so fed by shame, I think. And that shame is one of the most destructive things that we can feel as human beings. It is very difficult. It's difficult to talk about. 
even like we don't want to talk about shame um because it's just hard to recognize it in other people in ourselves um mm-hmm. and i can totally see how that led to um the substance use the alcohol use to cope right these are like i guess said uh, protective measures and we use things like this to cope to numb and how long were you kind of in that hole where you you know were in, in the resentment and um before you started like the healing and and moving fo- forward from that um, I, I think I would say it definitely started with, you know, I think you know, if, if, if I were to talk about two different things, it's like, for me, it was twofold. Mm-hmm. Um, one was the mental health aspect to it. And then the other one was the addiction part of it. Mm-hmm. And the addiction part of it definitely, you know, for people who may or may not know much about addiction or recovery is that addiction is such an insidious disease, not because it leads you to consume, you know, a substance that could kill you, but rather because one of the first things that addiction does to you is it isolates you, you know, it creates this world in your head that forces you to self-isolate. So basically separate yourself from those who would support you, those who would nurture you, those who would provide you with understanding and love. And so it isolates you. It tells you, it creates a a paranoid brain in your head that tells you everyone is against you and everyone wants to harm you. Yeah. And and that's what addiction does to you first. It isolates you. Um, For me, my mental health part of it, you know, led me to you know, feeling like I was lost, you know, I had no identity, I didn't know where to go, I didn't know where to start, or what to do with my life anymore. I felt it was sort of like, over, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it was, it felt like it was over. So I spent like a couple months from what November, December, and then January, just feeling sorry for myself. Yeah, uh, feeling resentful towards others. I was very mad at the world. I was mad, very mad at everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was like, how could nobody see my pain? You know, how could could nobody understand my pain? Like I'm like at the bottom of the pits, you know, of my worst point in my life. And nobody's reached out to me and said, hey, are you okay?" Mm -hmm. Nobody did that, you know, and I felt really resentful uh, as a result of it. But then like January, February came around and I was feeling a little bit more resolved about, you know, getting back in touch with my faith and going back to church. Um, and I started doing that. And then this pandemic hit March. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and sometimes I tell my pastor that, you know, I think this pandemic was sort of my my sign. You know, this mm. is what I needed. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's oh, powerful stuff. And it's, oh, my gosh, like to think in the span of, of this year, right, you are, you're doing it. You are working, uh, I can imagine towards this healing. We were openly talking about it with me, a total stranger that we <laughs> connected online. And that's just really, really powerful stuff. So oh, I commend you, Luis. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I will say like, you know, it definitely took several months for me, you know, for some people it would take longer, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. different. Everybody mm-hmm. processes these things differently. But for me, you know, it took a couple months, you know, where I did not trust anyone. Mm-hmm. I could not trust anyone. I just, I, I tried to sometimes friends would reach out to me and ask me if I was okay. And I was extremely defensive and I was just extremely mad and, and I couldn't trust anyone. I was extremely paranoid. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and 
once I started going to therapy around, I think March and April, between March and April, I started doing therapy. And once I started opening up to my therapist, once I started telling my story, you know, the first thing that my therapist, the first assignment that my therapist had for me was to regain control of my own narrative. Mm. And, and I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, I had this narrative that, you know, in my head that, you know, everybody had done me wrong, you mm. know, when in fact, you know, yeah, you know, I was just hurt. And I was just hurt, you know, not from what others did to me, but hurt that I've experienced over many, many, many years of, of trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, once we got past that point, you know, I started opening up little by little. And um, she encouraged me to do a lot of writing, mm -hmm. a lot of what, what they call externalization. Mm -hmm. So basically take remove the things that were inside my head, my thoughts, and just put them out there. Um, I did a lot of writing under pseudo names you know and oh, just wow. big names you know and just put it out there I just like left it out there for a while and and it was a really nice way to like you know see that there was nothing wrong with like opening up and being vulnerable yeah you know so wow that's amazing oh so so uh amazing and beautiful especially to kind of find um your identity again almost i can imagine uh find who you are as a person and and be seen for who you are um truly deep inside and that's wonderful and uh was there a specific um type of therapy that you did with her that really resonated with you i'm assuming your therapist is, is female <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's uh -huh. it's a, it's a woman. Yeah, okay. we started we started our therapy doing chat. Like, uh, if if I don't, I don't want to, you know, not not to plug in BetterHelp.com. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it, the, one of the nice things features about it is that you get the option of doing a telephone mm -hmm. uh, conversation or a face to face video chat or uh, a text chat. So mm. I I chose to do a text chat because that was the medium that I felt most comfortable with. And I felt like by writing, by putting some thought into the words that I was writing, it would help me process things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was just reading an article yesterday about um, the increase of uh, teletherapy um, mm -hmm. now, especially because we can't, we can't go into um, our sessions with, you know, um, in person. And I know my sessions have gone fully remote, like on Zoom. And it's actually really nice. Like it's not, it's not too bad. I do miss sometimes being inside um, the their consulting area. And um, my therapist at least gives me a hug after every session. <laughs> nice. And so um, like, oh, I missed that part. And uh, she had a dog who would come in and stuff. But um, for a lot of people that teletherapy uh, is really good and it's accessible. Um, and I think we can still always work to make therapy more accessible, but that's a, a great way. And I'm glad that you found that in continuing with um, kind of your support system, who else was there for you? Or can you credit that just helped you um, kind of pick yourself up a little bit? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to my roommate, my friend Morgan, who um, not only provided me with shelter, she let me crash her couch she's still letting me crash her couch uh -huh. um you know that way i wouldn't end up sleeping in the streets she she you know that alone provided me with basically the most basic level of you know needs you know mm -hmm. in um what do they call the mass maslov's uh hierarchy, hierarchy of needs hierarchy <laughs> of needs yeah you know so you need at the very basic you need shelter food and all those things so she provided that and you know 
you know, whenever I could get money, you know, I would get a little bit of money to like buy food, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, that kind of started with that. And then little by little, I started building like that trust with my therapist. And from there, she recommended that I go to AA meetings, which I started doing through Zoom. Oh, interesting. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I started getting plugged in a little bit more with the sobriety community. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, started meeting people here and there. And eventually I met my, what, who is now my sponsor. And he became like a very close mentor, mm -hmm. you know, someone that I trust, you know, with my life. And little by little, I just started adding people here and there, you know, so that community that I felt I needed, you know, and I, I, f I felt like there was a community that I had built, you know, in journalism, you know, and I was kind of like going back to square one and starting that in my own personal life. Yeah, yeah. And it's surrounding ourselves with these people is so powerful and uh, finding, like I've mentioned before, the people who see us for us with our struggles, with our vulnerabilities, with our imperfections, quote unquote. Um, that's wonderful. So I'm glad that you've you found that and uh, you were able to have that. And you've mentioned spirituality, so at least um, your faith. And how has that um, helped you in this process? Tremendously. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm I, I'm lucky that my therapist is dual. It's got a dual role in well, dual perspective. You know, she's she's a therapist. You know, she she knows the the skills and has the background for for therapy um, mm -hmm. to dealing with trauma and those sort of things. But also, she's she's spiritual leaning, and you know, she identifies as Christian and I define, identify as Christian. Um, mm -hmm. And we talk about, you know, faith and we talk about, you know, the Bible and those sort of things. It's faith, my faith, my spirituality has been probably, it, it's become like the central thing, like my rock, you know? Yeah. Um, I, 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 re I recognize that there's a lot of people who are secular who don't necessarily subscribe to one religion or another. I understand that there's a lot of people who are very skeptical of people who talk about spirituality or faith, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> that we're deluded and or whatever, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I get it because I was one of those people. I was one of those people mm. that was very skeptical. I was very secular. I was very uh, separated from the Catholic church where I had grown up, I'd grown up in the Catholic mm -hmm. church. And for most of my adult life, you know, I was separated from all that. And I was skeptical of people who did the whole Jesus talk. <laughs> Trust me, I was, I was there. I was, wow. I was one of those people. And, yeah. and to hear myself talk these days, it's like, man, what, what the heck happened? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it definitely became my, you know, my rock, my faith became my rock. You know, uh, it is the way I strip my pride and my ego and my own mm -hmm. personal selfishness out of myself, like out of mm -hmm. everything that I do. You know, if I whatever it is that I do, I just like completely strip away my pride and my ego and I put my faith in it. And if my faith doesn't belong there, then I don't belong there either. Mm, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's like, I, I grew up um, going to the, going to church. I was Southern Baptist growing up, <laughs> which I always thought was so funny. I was like, what are these brown people doing being Southern Baptist? But I grew up in that. <laughs> um, you know, I'm from Northern California. It's very, very strange. Um, but I was, I was into it, right? I was, that was my thing. And that's what I knew. And when I had my personal struggles, I felt so out of it in my community, in my religious community. 
Um, and I'm still, you know, working on approaching it um, because I felt a lot of guilt and shame and I felt um, I felt dirty in, in a sense. I felt like, oh my gosh, how can I have these thoughts that everyone says good thoughts come from God, right? In some understanding. And I was like, how can I have these thoughts and, and feel so awful, so worthless, so I felt like a bad person for something that I... I didn't do to myself, right? It was just kind of a buildup of things. Um, And so I'm slowly working on reconnecting with spirituality and reconnecting with faith. And so that's amazing that you were able to, to kind of reconcile there. Yeah. You know, and, and I, and I will say like, I will, I will absolutely add that, you know, I recognize that there is a lot of people who don't assimilate or don't, you know, have that spiritual experience, you know, and, and struggle with, with, with that kind of uh, language, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I would posture that, you know, there is a lot of secular beliefs out there that people can subscribe to that have nothing to do with Christianity or any other religion. You know, it could be it could be the universe. You know, you could talk to yeah. your ancestors or whatever. But, you know, if you're as long as you're tethered to something, a power greater than yourself, you know, mm-hmm. I think you can find a lot of you know, you know, support, I guess, you know, to, to be able to remove your own pride and your own ego out of certain things, you know, and be able mm-hmm. to be selfless more often and be more understanding, be more empathetic. You know, I think the end goal is to be more empathetic. And how do you become yeah. that is, you know, by removing ego and your pride, you know, and that's a very difficult thing to do, because our lives are centered around us, you know, yeah. the whole world revolves around us. You know, so mm-hmm. it is easy to confuse us as being the center of the universe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, faith and spirituality and that kind of meaning there is is another tool that we can have. Um, for some people, the tool is that tool is, you know, stands out more in the toolbox. For other people, it's a little bit smaller. Maybe some people it's a screwdriver, some people it's a little nail. Um, but um, I, I love that that you're able to 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 talk about that and be like yeah I was away from it I found it it's worked for me and that's wonderful if it works for a person that's all that matters it's just so so amazing to see how how you've gathered these things that work for you and are working for you and help you and I'm sure not every day is easy it's a challenge that we have to all go walk this earth and um, walk through our days with with challenges and things that uh, pop up but I'm glad that you're able to to kind of be on that path. Yeah, you know, and and it's interesting you you mentioned the, you know, you ask about the spirituality part of it. I like to preach or not preach, but like I like to <laughs> repeat to people and say like what you practice is what you become, you know. If you what you practice every day is what you become, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and I had become the product of everyday consumption of bad news or negative news or outrage news, you know, things that would outrage mm-hmm. me. I would start my day, you know, getting onto Twitter and getting outraged. And I mm-hmm. would start my day on the wrong side. And when I did that every single day, it became a really terrible way uh, to think about the world. It became, I, yeah. I, my, my, my attitude towards the world became really toxic. And that made me into a very toxic person. Um, mm-hmm with very toxic thoughts, but it, it really makes a huge difference in how you treat each day. You know, what it is, what is it that you're doing every day and media consumption? I'm a, I'm a big advocate when it comes to media consumption, you know, it's like 
really, really, really pay attention to what kind of media you're consuming every day, whether it's social yeah. media, whether it's on TV, whether it's radio or whatever, just pay attention to like the kind of media that you're consuming, because that ultimately yeah. will definitely affect how you think and see the world. Oh, yeah. There's that talk about doom scrolling, right? Where we kind of, especially now, like, what's the the bad news? And, and there's something, you know, I studied polit- political science in college, too. And we used to talk about um, negative attack ads and stuff for like presidential campaigns. We do, you know, as long as much as we don't like the negative ads, we or negative news, I might say, or negative things in the media, we do kind of uh, lean towards it. And so that's interesting to say, like, be mindful of what you're consuming, um, how much of it and where it takes you. Um, Cause it really, it's, it can seem mindless at times. Like, Oh, I'm just going to open up my New York times um, app and just kind of go through it. But there's things that get to us. Yeah. There's, there's things that, you know, stick in your subconsciousness that feed your subconscious. Mm-hmm. Like if, if everybody uh, looks at your subconscious as you like that invisible stuff, that is your beliefs, you know, what, how yeah. you believe to be true. What is what you believe to be true. All those things, you know, confirmation bias you know yeah we talk about that all the time you know where like if you consume news that confirm your bias what you're doing is basically you're feeding this subconscious part of yourself that Mm. is becoming more tribal you know and Mm. the and and the more tribal you become the more you you crave that confirmation bias the more you crave those kind of news and that kind of social media that feeds into this belief that there's people there are people bad there, there are yeah. really bad people out there that are, that are never going to be like me that are so antithetical to my values, you know? Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a really, you know, I would, I don't want to say bad habit, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would always say like, you know, more information is better, but pay attention to what it is that you're consuming, because if yeah. it's confirming your bias, if it's confirming your beliefs, really pay attention to what those beliefs are you know, where, yeah. where it's leading you. This is really powerful. You know, you're a former journal- journalist, you were in the social media world, you're doing that. And so, you know, a warning, I guess, to, to where we, where we consume and what we consume. I think another question I had that just kind of got me thinking is uh, with your faith and your spirituality, did you develop some sort of a contemplative practice, um, you know, prayer, meditation? Has that helped you, that kind of mindfulness? Yeah. So basically what I do, what I've been doing for the last several months is <laughs> I start my mornings with, I, first of all, I removed cat caffeine from my diet, you know, and it's, oh my gosh. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, made, it's made a huge difference. <laughs> uh, I removed caffeine from my diet and, um, and I spent every morning at least five to 10 minutes meditating and just praying. And for people who don't know how to do that, or like me, they were like me, you know, I didn't know how to do that. I did not know what to do. So Mm -hmm. someone suggested to me, just sit still, do nothing and, (laughs) and listen to the wind. Listen, just listen to the wind, listen to your surroundings. Don't think about anything else. Just listen for five to 10 minutes. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just clear your mind for a good five, 10 minutes. And I, and that basically that's what I do every day. I've been doing that for the last several months where I sit for about an hour. I've, I've been able to increase it to an hour um, where wow. I do a couple prayers. You know, I try to remind myself uh, just to have an open mind, an open heart. And, uh, you know, and basically I ask God to, you know, tell me, what to do, you know, 
just let me just guide me you know that's it you know yeah. just don't let me don't let me fall into my my warm little hole of self-pity you know <laughs> yeah of selfishness yeah wow wonderful and now as you've you know kind of left that world of journalism behind and that what you were doing before have i understand you've kind of pivoted towards content creation what are you up to now <laughs> You know, I, I've been trying to like get a little bit more into art. It definitely art uh, has been a little bit more therapeutic for me. I, I've been doing photography, you know, I've been doing photography. I've been doing art. I do writing, but writing under like pseudonames, you know, that no, mm -hmm. one, no one will ever find or read or know that it's from me, you know, and I just like try to put it out there as much as possible, you know, and just like trying to cultivate like, you know, a, a sense of like, purpose that's mainly what yeah. it is i haven't worked you know at all since what november what, october yeah. last year so but and for the longest time i felt really resentful at the fact that like nobody would ever hire me i thought like oh no one's ever mm. gonna hire me again and uh i've kind of let go of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i'm actually really really happy oh wonderful. i'm extremely <laughs> happy that i don't have to worry about I don't worry about whether I'm going to be hired or employable or on you know I don't think those things matter to me anymore I've I've completely yeah. let go I I don't care what my resume says anymore I don't care mm. if you know I I just it, it just doesn't matter to me what am I doing with my time um, just doing content creation just doing writing doing um art and photography and um you know just trying to see if i can get involved with like some other organizations some nonprofits. you know maybe help out with some fundraising i helped out with my church do some fundraising recently mm -hmm. um and i i want to be able to see if i can help out a little bit more with other fundraising so i'm definitely trying to reach out to nonprofits and say hey you know i have these skills i have the time use me you know, yeah. if not, that's fine too, you know. Oh, wonderful. I love it. And, you know, pursuing art and things like that and uh, things that interest you. Um, that's wonderful. I remember um, when I was in a bit of a funk, I just craved some sort of creative outlet. And it was so funny. I, I remember telling my therapist, I was like, oh, I need a creative outlet, uh, but I'm not good at being creative. Um, and she's just like, oh, oh, just check yourself what you're saying right there. Just do something. Um, and so I love that you were just doing that. Um, I checked out your Instagram page. I saw some wonderful photography and it's great to see that. And I'm really glad that you've been able to, to focus on your healing, to focus on your journey. And you said, um, you know, I, I haven't worked, um, but the stuff that you're doing, it is work. It's a different kind of work. It's inner work. It's uh, personal and um, it's wonderful. Yeah. You know, and I, and whenever people ask me like, Oh, what are you doing these days? Uh -huh. And I say like my full-time job right now is my sobriety. Yeah. You know, it's been my full-time job for the last three, four months. That's, that's been my only job. Basically that's, that's, a, that's literally all I do every day. Mm -hmm. Just, I do, I live one day at a time. That's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Have you found that um, being in the pandemic and sheltering in place has helped you kind of be more mindful and live in the present? Uh, yeah, you know, I would say it has removed distractions, you know, just the, the sheer fact that I can't go to the bar anymore. Uh, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge, man. You know, that's huge. Uh, the fact that I can't go out and socialize, well, you know, that's huge. You know, uh, 
the first couple of weeks, uh, maybe the first month, I I was really enjoying myself, mm-hmm. and I I have been enjoying myself the whole time. Actually, uh, it goes to show I really revealed to myself how much of an introvert I really am, mm. because I really enjoy just you know spending time alone. I picked up a couple books, I read a couple books, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then I started doing more uh, meditation, more praying, and it it really became like really nice. I'm doing a lot more writing letters. Mm -hmm. I write letters to my mom. You know, I check in with people that I haven't talked to in years. You know, I had a friend of mine who died when he was 20. He overdosed and his mom, his mom was just absolutely devastated. And right after he died, her husband died too. So his father, so the father died afterwards. And so she became this widow and she lost her son, you know, and, and I basically stayed in touch with her. I would reach out to her every now and then, but after I got sober, you know, I started reaching out to her more, more often. And, um, we've been kind of keeping in touch, you know, Mm -hmm. so, and that was her only son, you know, and I, I really feel her pain. Um, that's been my job. Basically, my job has been to just be of service make myself available to people whoever needs help and um yeah you know just things over yeah oh so good so such powerful stuff you said something in that medium post um back in may that just really stuck with me too you said i love what you wrote you said um i'm grateful to be alive and i'm hopeful for the future like what an absolute absolute gift to be able to say that and how does that still kind of tie into how you feel now well, I, I guess the way I saw my sobriety and the way I saw my like spiritual connection with my God is I saw it as like sort of like a new lease on life, you know, because if I were to look at if I were to look back at time and say, man, all of that looks really gloomy and just really terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it just it just looks like there's there's not much hope, you know, but if I look at, you know, what I could do today to better myself for tomorrow or prepare myself for tomorrow, it looks really hopeful because there's a whole lot that I can do today. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of choices that I can do today, that a lot of choices that I can make today that can prepare myself for tomorrow. And I can't stress this enough about this pandemic. You know, a lot of people are so distracted with, their own personal needs and their own personal desires and their own personal wants, you know, Oh, I can't go to the movies anymore. I can't go to concerts anymore. I can't, you know, do this or do that, you know, and I would position this time as a challenge for everyone to really think hard about what really is important in your life, Mm -hmm. because it will be taken away. You know, this pandemic will take everything away. It will take away your comfort. It will take it. If maybe it'll take away your job. Maybe it'll take away someone you love, mm-hmm. someone you you care about, someone you know might get sick. It might take away that sense of security, sense, sense of protection, that sense of uh, you know you know safety that we used to feel. And how are you going to respond to that? How are you going to react to that? You know. And I think I think long and hard about. The things that I do today about how to prepare myself emotionally when, if, and when my parents get sick, mm. what am I going to do? You know, my, my parents are everything to me. What am I going to do when one of them gets sick or, or dies? 
you know, how am I going to react? Mm-hmm. How is that going to change who I am? You know, how is gonna, that going to change the world that I live in? Would I, will I become more resentful mm-hmm. or will I look at, you know, that as an opportunity for something else? The things that I do today are preparing me for what, how I'm going to react tomorrow. That's basically it, yeah. you know, and I just hope that the things that I'm doing today are making me a stronger, more patient, more listening and more empathetic person to be able to respond and be a better source of support for someone else who might need the help. Yeah. Yeah. And flexing that emotional intelligence muscle um, is is great stuff. Right. And um, right. be, being able to come with empathy, have a little slice of empathy for, for others and that emotional understanding. And so it's just been a pleasure talking to you, Luis. It's just been so great to be able to, you know, meet you for the first time, actually talk to you in person and for you to be open and vulnerable and share all these insights that you've learned. So thank you so much. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, Where can folks find you on socials um, and online? Well, I, I'm still on Twitter at Ron Gomez mm-hmm. and um, I have a photography page on Instagram. I'm at rongomez.photos. Yeah, you know, and my Twitter has a link to my blog. So um, I'm working on a new blog post. I haven't been blogging there for, for specific reasons because I, I feel like I, need, I, I feel like there's a lot of writing that I do, but I just sit on it for a long time until mm-hmm. I, f- I feel mm-hmm. it's right. <laughs> um, and a lot of it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll be posting something soon, hopefully. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking your time to be on Take Care. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I wish yeah, you the best. Thanks and congratulations on this new podcast. It's awesome. I love it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at takecare.pod and at Twitter at takecare underscore pod. To support Take Care, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating and leave a review. Quick disclaimer, I'm not a mental health professional, just an advocate and individual with a passion for mental and emotional health. The information and topics discussed on this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. This podcast does not attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any mental or emotional condition or disease.